has reminded me this week that <clears throat> I am a sinner saved by grace. And as I've thought about today, I've thought about, you know, in myself, I have no business getting up here to preach. I have no business getting up to preach any time except that Christ has called me to do that. And because I'm a sinner saved by grace, I don't have anything to give you. I have nothing of myself uh, that I could ever give you as a congregation that I serve. I have nothing of my own that would benefit you. Anything good that I have to say is because of Jesus, not because of me. So, I want to begin this morning by saying I'm your preacher, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. By the way, you're a sinner saved by grace too. <laughs> so there's some comfort in that. What I preach today is Jesus Christ and his word. And the power of preaching is in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Nothing else, no other benefit can I add to what Christ has already given us. So let's pray. Father, with uh, an awareness of my own need for you, need of everyone in this audience today, we come to your word asking for your wisdom, asking for that which you have revealed to us to be made known, for your Holy Spirit to guide me, to guide everyone as we go into your word together. And may the benefit be the changing of our lives by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I have an odd question for you this morning, and it's this. Are you a Mary or a Martha? <laughs> now, that sounds kind of funny to ask that, the men as well as the women, but there's a point. And what I mean is, are you more like Mary Martha. If you don't know what I mean, then I'll probably need to explain. And so we have to go back to Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38. Maybe you've heard the names of Mary and Martha. They were friends of Jesus in his earthly ministry. They had a brother named Lazarus. So these three siblings were very tight with Jesus. Jesus often visited them. And you know them from several different Occasions, several different events in their life as they intersected with Jesus. One of those most powerful is Lazarus' resurrection. May you remember that in John 11, Jesus' disciples were some distance away, and they got word from the sisters that Lazarus had gone gravely ill, and that they needed him to come quickly so that Lazarus could be healed. And it says in John 11 that Jesus intentionally delayed, he waited for some reason. He waited for a couple of days. And then eventually he went. By the time he got there, Lazarus had already died. Jesus knew full well. He said to his disciples, Lazarus is going to die. But when he arrived at the house, he raised him from the dead, showing his power over death. You may remember another occasion when a dinner was held and Jesus' honor at their house. And Mary stopped everything else that was going on, and she got down beside Jesus, and she anointed the feet of Jesus with a very costly perfume, showing her devotion. Maybe you remember that just before Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the very final time in what we call the triumphal entry, 
he stopped at Bethany and he stayed the night again with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his very dear friends. This occasion in Luke 10 is a separate time. Luke 10, starting with verse 38. Follow along, please. As Jesus' disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Mary had found one thing, the one thing that mattered most. Jesus said, it would not be taken away. Do you know what that one thing was? Martha was upset that Mary was sitting around when there was so much to be done. She was stressed out about the many guests, the details of dinner for so many people. But Jesus said, you need to stop worrying. Few things are necessary in life. In fact, only one. Dinner can wait. What was that one thing that Mary had found? What was that one thing that mattered the most? Abiding in Christ. And that's our topic for today. The single most important thing that any of us could do is to abide in Christ. This is our greatest need. Now sometimes it's good to be a Mary. Sometimes it's good to be a Martha. Sometimes we need to be quiet before the Lord and hear from Him. And sometimes we need to be very busy helping other people. But the second should flow from the first. It may never uh, get anywhere if you start with the second. If you start with the busyness, you may never find that time to abide. And the power of your helping others is greatly diminished if you don't abide in Christ first. It's easier for us to be a Martha, isn't it? We Americans have been raised, you've got to keep your schedule full, you've got to do as much as you can, you keep loading in as much to that calendar as you possibly can, and we take joy in the fact that we are very, very busy people. We're busier than anyone else around us, we think. But often our busyness gets in the way of the real busyness of following Christ, of becoming like Christ. It's essential that we learn to be a Mary enjoying Jesus, resting in Jesus, abiding in Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, if you have to choose one or the other, choose to be Mary. Don't choose to be Martha. Spending time with Jesus and learning to be like him is far more important than just trying to keep busy doing things to help people. Now, Martha is over here to the side while Mar Mary is at Jesus' feet, and she is frantic. She is flying you know, at low altitude, getting everything that she possibly can. She is operating, however, in her own flesh. She's operating in her own power. But Mary was first learning to operate in the Spirit of God, not in her flesh. And she was learning how to operate in God's power, not in her own. And what a great lesson. What a difficult but important lesson for us all to learn here. Abiding in Jesus, that is what Mary was doing. Martha was scurrying about the kitchen, preparing enough food for probably 20 people. But Mary was abiding. 
in Jesus, abiding in Jesus. Now, what does this word abide mean? What does it say in the New Testament? Where do we find other places of this? This is a word remain. The Greek word is meno. Meno means to stay in a given place, or state, or, or relationship. It means to hang in there, to abide, to continue, to dwell, to endure, to stand. And to busy Americans like us, abiding looks a lot like waiting. And we don't like to wait, do we? If you want to know that, just go out to Interstate 66 tomorrow morning and look at the look on people's faces. They're frantic, they're angry, they're saying things under their breath because they're having to wait. They can't just flow freely to their point of destination. Abiding looks inactive, as if nothing is going on. It looks lazy. It looks unproductive. It looks like a waste of time. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because when you're abiding in Christ, there's a lot going on. Meno means to make the most of a relationship. Meno means to hang tight and to hang in there no matter what. And in a relationship, hanging in there means being faithful to that relationship, making the most of that relationship that we have with Christ. Now look at how this word meno is used in other scriptures where remaining or abiding is used in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, very familiar text. But now these three things remain. Same word, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. In Acts 11.23, Barnabas heard that the church up in Antioch was, was growing stronger, so it says that he went up there and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. In Acts 14.22, Paul and Barnabas have made their first missionary journey. Now they're backtracking and visiting the different churches that they had started, churches at Lystra and, and Iconium and Antioch, and he encouraged them to remain true to the faith. In Revelation 3.2, there's one of the letters that Jesus is writing to the seven churches of Asia. And it's the church at Sardis that is being chastised with a letter of warning from Jesus in John's vision. And Jesus said to the Christians at Sardis, Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Abiding in Jesus. What is it? What does it look like? Well, I think the best description we find comes from Jesus himself. Because Jesus described in no uncertain terms in John 15 what abiding means. When he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now he's obviously talking about a grapevine. Even without knowing much about the production of grapes, we still understand the basics of how growing happens. How any fruit producing plant bears fruit. And Seth, you've already stolen my thunder a little bit, but that's okay. But a few of you enjoy gardening. It may not be tomatoes. It may be something else. It may just be the flowers in pots on your front porch. I don't know what it is. But if we enjoy that, we understand what is necessary to get the flowers or the fruit that we're looking for. There are all kinds of things we need to do. What, what are some of the things we need to do? Water, okay? Fertilize, okay? Sunlight, okay, get it some sunlight. Find, if you have to make artificial, put it there, yeah. you got to weed it, don't you? Yeah, because if you're not, the weeds go faster. For some reason, they go faster than anything else. Pruning may happen. Okay, so all kinds of things. If you want greater fruit, these are the things you have to, you have to be diligent. You have to remain the gardener. 
if you want the fruit. So you have to stay in there. The imagery of gardening is familiar to all of us, and we know how plants produce. So Jesus picked up on this imagery. Let's go over to John chapter 15, and let's see what he says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Just starting right there. He's the vine, but God's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. In other words, pruning's already happened in your life. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice how many times Jesus uses the word remain or abide in this passage. If you were to continue reading, in fact, through verse 9, you would discover that Jesus uses the word remain or abide 11 times in 9 verses. It must be important. So let's see why it's so important. The primary thing, of course, that Jesus was saying about the vine and branches is that the branches cannot produce fruit unless they're connected to the vine. It's just a fact of nature. You lop them off, fruit stops. If there is no connection, there is no possibility that they can produce any fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we may struggle, we may try, we may do all kinds of shenanigans and, and uh, you know, just try to uh, do whatever we can to produce something, but apart from me, it comes to nothing. If, however, there's a strong connection, even if there's a, a, an abiding connection, there will be much fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine. Now, this is the last of Jesus' eight statements in John that are the I am statements. Are you familiar with some of these? So let's, let's try and name them together. What are the other I am statements? I am the way, the truth, and the life, okay? I am the good shepherd, okay? I am the resurrection and the life, yeah? Uh, not in John. <laughs> but you just say that. Yeah, David? I am the gate or the door, yeah. Any others? I am the light of the world. Okay, we're good. I am the bread of life is also in there. And he also said another place before Abraham was, I am, which really was a sign to the Jews. Okay, we've got somebody different here. Nobody does that. They're going to die for that. I mean, they, they, they decide right then he needs to die. The eighth and final I am is this one. I am the vine. I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if there's something to gain from that, but it can certainly see some possibilities. What is important about all these I am statements is that Jesus is what matters. Not us. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do in our own. It's what he can do in us. It's not about who we are, but who Jesus is. I am signifies his superiority. I am signifies his sovereignty. I am means that everything in our lives revolves around Jesus. And when we get that out of whack, when we forget that, when we decide it's about revolving around me, 
it changes everything and the fruit dwindles and maybe falls off completely. The life that we have in Christ is determined by the intimacy or the connection, the closeness of our union with Jesus. And it is the sharing of our life in His. Thus it is fitting that Jesus finished His I Am sayings with I Am the Vine. You have no life in yourself except through me. Now this illustration of a vine, its branches, is kind of an extended metaphor. Maybe really should be called an allegory. Because all the elements have meaning and significance. You can break this out in a lot of different ways and say, now nah, that's teaching that too. That's, that's an important lesson. Now obviously the main point is that we only grow and produce fruit as we remain connected to the vine. So imagine if you are a branch on this vine and you don't really like being connected to the vine all the time. That's restricting. I mean, you just can't go anywhere you want to go if you're still connected to this vine. And so you decide, as you imagine this, that you're going to go off on your own sometimes. You know, just for a little while. I'll go do my own thing. And I don't like the restrictiveness of always being connected to the vine. So you break yourself off so you can go do what you want to do. How long are you going to last? How far are you going to go? You have just cut yourself off from life itself. And did you think that you'd be happy with the results of being on your own? Did you think that you knew better than the vine how to live your life? Did you think that you had everything inside of you that you needed for life? What was it that caused you to think, I would be better off away from the vine than with the vine? Because it was all foolishness. And it would never gain you what you thought it would gain you. It would be a lie from hell. From Satan himself saying, you'd be better off on your own. God's just restricting you. God's just prohibiting these things because he wants to keep you in line. He doesn't really have your good in mind. Jesus is reminding us he is the vine. We are the branches. And when we separate ourselves from him, we die. We must be vitally connected to the vine in order to have any life at all in ourselves. And so we are nothing without him. We are everything with him. Because the glory goes to Him. The, the power is His. The wisdom is His. And when we make it about ourselves, we fail. One other thing about this John 15 and the vine and the branches that I want to hit before we kind of finish up here. Did you notice that Jesus says that His Father is the gardener? And even He is submissive to the Father that he drew his life while here on earth from the Father. Otherwise, he could not have accomplished what he accomplished. And that the Father prunes even the faithful branches. Even the ones that are producing, he prunes. Now, you understand that, maybe with your roses. Maybe you understand that with a fruit tree. And maybe even some of the herbs that you grow. That if you just let it go, it gets all leggy, and then it goes to seed, and you might as well pitch it out at that point. But if you keep pruning it back, it keeps producing, and more and more flowers come, and more and more fruit comes. And this is very true of grapevines, for sure. Now, what is this pruning? Pruning could be discipline of all kinds. It could be God correcting our behavior by allowing us to go through hard times, or sickness, or, or some kind of loss. And through these things, God tries to get our attention 
so that we will come back to Him and draw closer to Him once again. When we start losing, when we start failing, when we start drifting, God disciplines us through this pruning so that we can come back and be restored. And He uses a number of measures to do that. So if you're having struggles of some kind today or any day, don't assume necessarily that it's a spiritual attack from the enemy. You know, some people are quick to say, well, you know, I get this just because the devil's attacking me. Maybe he is. Maybe it's God who's allowing you to have the consequences of your own actions. Maybe it's God that's bringing some tragedy into your life or some difficulty into your life so that you will wake up and realize you're drifting here. You're moving away from God. And God disciplines us and prunes us reactions like that. When we travel, I hate to ask for directions. Anybody else? I, I am probably about the worst. My family could testify to that. You know, if I, I have this thing ever since I was a Boy Scout and learned about compasses and we studied maps and all this stuff, uh, that I have a sense of direction. That's pretty good in the daytime when the sun's shining, but, you know, it goes behind a cloud or it's nighttime. You don't have some of those things. You still may have moss on the north side of the tree, and you know you can't always see that from the road. But I think that I have perfect direction. Yeah, I, I'm convinced of that. In fact, I'll argue with our GPS. Sometimes I'll overwrite her. You know, just say, you don't know what you're talking about, because I know how to get there. And many times I've had to, after a while, a long while, turn, turn around, do something different. You know, traveling in the wrong direction is not good. Even if you feel like you're making good time. <laughs> Man, we're getting there. Yeah, we're zooming along. Look, we're beating everybody. Then there's this dead end. you got to go back and get in line anyhow. So you should have stayed there. That's the best you can do. It doesn't matter how hard you work if you're doing the wrong thing. It is never to our advantage to go our own way and to stop listening to God. So God has prescribed, God has described for us a path for life that is good and purposeful and pleasing. And if somehow in our own pride we insist that we know better and we choose to go against that path or plan, we do so to our own peril. And we will experience all kinds of bad things until we finally admit that God knew what was best all along. But if our goal is to abide in Christ, remember that's our primary need. Our primary need is to abide in Christ. We will never regret the decision to abide in Christ. Because God knows what he's talking about. He knows how to produce fruit. He knows how to do good in our lives. And the only way to do it is to keep us as close to Jesus as we can possibly be. Now, time is about up because we have some other important things we want to do before you go home today. So let me just give you a quick outline what abiding in Christ is. If you have a pen, you want to write it down, I'm just going to give you an assignment to go develop this on your own. You don't need me to develop all these different points, but I want you to realize some of the, the major things about abiding in Christ. I was going to preach this as my whole sermon. I figured that's probably wasted effort. You need to do it. You need to study. So here, abiding in Christ. First of all, making the effort to know Jesus better. Know him more and more. That's the goal. We want to become like Jesus. So you get to know Jesus. You find out what his life is, is about. 
You read in the Gospels all the time. You read what Paul and others have said in the rest of the New Testament. You see who Jesus is, and you get as close to Jesus as you can. And when you make that effort, Jesus will somehow be reflected in you. The light of the world will then make you the light of the world. Secondly, abiding in Christ is fellowshipping with Jesus. That's living life together. Sharing life's ups and downs with Jesus. But note that it's with Jesus in charge. You're not in charge. It's not you saying, hey, Jesus, come along and bless what I want to do. It's not, uh, you know, confirm my plans. It's fellowshipping with Jesus. Say, what do you see in this? What do you want to happen? How are you going to get me through this? Let's do this together, Lord. And you've got to live that way. Abiding in Christ is resting in Jesus. Placing our trust and our confidence in Jesus. It's not in yourself. You put confidence in yourself, your own abilities, your own plans, your own team around you. You will fail. So put your confidence only in Him. Rest in Him. And then finally, abiding in Christ is loving and obeying Jesus. John 15, 9 makes that pretty clear, I think. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. And love and obedience is the expression of abiding in Christ. Let me just leave you with this. Jesus is everything. Jesus is the source of our life. Jesus is all that matters. So would you just figure that out and start abiding in Christ? It'll be so much better. Let's pray. Father, bless us as we try day after day by your grace and by your power to abide in Christ. That is our greatest need. That is the greatest requirement of our lives, to stay close to Jesus. And we ask that you would just live your life in us, because we don't belong to ourselves. We have been bought with a price, and then we are to glorify God in our lives, in our bodies, in our minds, in our attitudes. And we can only do that when we are connected to the vine, Jesus. We are branches. You use us. You glorify yourself through the fruit you bear in our lives. But we won't bear any fruit apart from you. So hold us close. Hold us tight. Give us the resolve, the courage that we need to abide in Christ every day. Bless us all as we do that together. Encourage us today to encourage each other to remain true to the faith and to Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Song of prayer together right now through our song. Lord, I lift up my hands. Lord, I lift up my hands to you.